Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I really should just say welcome, welcome, because I have two special guests on today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you are counting, this is episode number 359. So there. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Peter Diamandis, the author of, of a couple of books. The one we're talking about today is Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think. And this is quoted in an article online by Jamie Moran. Let me just read this quote, and that will set us up, and I'll tell you more. So the Quote, a techno-philanthropist, some people spell that as one word without the hyphen, I'm spelling it with a hyphen, techno-philanthropist can be, quote, a young, idealistic, iPad jet setter who cares about the world, the whole world in a new way. Okay, so what are we talking about here? Well, I have to do a shout out to one of our two esteemed panelists today, Frank Diana at TCS, one of our two go-to futurists. Gray Scott is the other one and he's with us today. Frank sent me a note and he said, welcome to the age of exponential progression. He says it's marked by the rapid acceleration of innovation and it's fueled by astounding progress in science and technology. So what is driving this acceleration or who? One answer is what we just talked about in the Peter Diamandis quote, the emergence of techno philanthropists. They are using their, I'm calling it new money, Frank, new money. They got it recently. It came through technology. And they're using it for the purpose of accelerating the sciences and technology to try to solve seemingly unsolvable problems like hunger and disease around the world. So as uh, I think, uh, who is it? Um, uh, uh, One of the, uh, I'm trying to think of the gentleman's name, a Canadian singer who talked through his songs. We lost him last year. He says, it's all good. No, that's a Bob Dylan song. It's all good. So here's an example. Bill Gates' brainchild investment fund called Breakthrough Energy Ventures, BEV, aims to accelerate energy innovation and also disrupt the energy industry by through the contributions, contributions of high-profile investors, including Jeff Bezos, who's been in the news recently, Richard Branson, Jack Ma, and Michael Bloomberg. We're talking money. We're talking forward thinking. We're talking global view. So I say to my listeners, what about you? What does this mean to you? Could you become a techno? philanthropist? Well, we're going to find out from Frank and from Gray. So let me welcome Frank Diana, Futurist at TCS, and Gray Scott at Futuristic Now. We'll find out a little bit into the show exactly what they're up to these days. They're both regular panelists, and welcome to both of you. Frank has sent us a quote from Jack Welch. Jack Welch, John Francis Jack Welch, Jr., born in 1935, still with us, American business executive, author, and chemical engineer. He was the chairman and CEO of GE, that's General Electric, for a long term, 1981 to 2001, and the company's value rose 4,000% during that time. Welsh's net worth was estimated at just a mere $720 million in 2006, but most important, when he retired from GE, his severance payment was the largest in history at the time, $417 million. And here's the quote Frank has sent us. This is a good one. On the face of it, shareholder value is the dumbest idea in the world. Frank Diana, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? 
Uh, well, I'm I'm well. I'm loving this topic. Thank you for suggesting it. I told you before we went on the air, you're always in danger of introducing a new topic to me because I, I have 48 weeks of live radio on Coffee Break, and I'm always looking for something that interests me that I think will inter- interest our global audience. So I love the quote from Jack Welsh. It flies in the face of everything we have been told about doing business. So, Frank, tell me what the quote really means and why you picked it for our show today, please. Great. Well, I think it's perfect for the topic. Uh, if you think about shareholder value, the maximizing shareholder value dates back to the 1970s when the world was experiencing economic crisis and uh, stagnation, and performance was impaired, and the shareholder community was feeling very dissatisfied with shareholder returns and a lack of focus, they believed, from management on uh, maximizing profits. And so the error of shareholder value was born, and, and obviously we still live in that era today. Uh, and there's so many different places you can go when you think about this topic, both in terms of its limiting innovation uh, because of the quarterly result focus of leaders around the world, uh, whether it's flying in the face of this whole topic. The, the shareholder value movement is really slowly starting to shift to more, towards more of a stakeholder value movement where the purpose orientation of society is, is really much more acute than it's ever been as far as I'm concerned. And so profit motives and shareholder value uh, at some point in time uh, to be determined shifts to more of a purpose orientation and stakeholder value, uh, which obviously not there yet, but I think it's intricately tied to this topic. Thank you very much. It it almost sounds like he's just just laughing. Isn't this, Frank, isn't there a phrase, something about tilting at windmills? Haven't we said that kind of thing for many years now? Uh, the idea that he's basically saying, and, and we know, Frank, when we talk about companies and adding value and all of the technologies we have at our fingertips today, all of the new disruptive emerging technologies, many of which actually are maturing already, and Gray can address that in a few minutes, um, we always mention shareholder value. We have to look at employee. Now it's employee experience and shareholder value. So thank you very much for that. Appreciate that. And I'm going to tweet that out. And Jack Welsh actually has a Twitter handle. It's Jack underscore Welch, W-E-L-C-H. Maybe he'll pay attention and maybe he'll comment back to us, Frank. Wouldn't that be nice? By the way, he has so many followers on Twitter. It's in the, I think it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, more than even Peter Diamandis, which surprised me. And we'll talk about that in a minute, about uh, who, who's following whom and saying what. So thank you, Frank. More to come from you. And again, thank you so much for the topic. I'm really looking forward to learning from you and Gray on this. And now we're turning around the other side of the table to Gray Scott, Futuristic Now. And Gray has sent us a quote from none other than Peter Diamandis, Greek-American engineer, physician, and entrepreneur. And Gray, I looked up Peter DeMondis' bio online. Uh, he, of course, is on Wikipedia, and he certainly has a, a great history. He's the founder and chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation, co-founder and executive chair of Singularity University, author of Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think, and Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World. He is a former CEO and co-founder of the Zero Gravity Corporation, co-founder and vice chair of Space Adventures. But what was interesting to me, Gray, is that what jumped out is that Peter Diamandis, who grew up in a Greek family in the Bronx, New York, graduated from Great Neck North High School in 1979. Mm. My children went to Great Neck South. I moved to Great Neck in 1984, and I would my where I lived was right on the border. 
if you if you lived half a block to the north, your kids went to Great Neck North. If you lived where I was, your kids went to Great Neck South. And we'd like to think that South was a better, but they were both outstanding, outstanding high schools. So anyway, that's what intrigued me. I had never seen that in his bio before, and it just jumped out at me. So shout out to Mr. Diamandis and the educators at Great Neck School System. Here's the quote. Listen up. Right now, and for the first time ever, a passionate and committed individual has access to the technology, minds, and capital required to take on any challenge. Gray Scott, how are you? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Oh, always delighted to have you, especially the combo of you and Frank Diana is, is very dynamic and very exciting, and I'm always on my toes extra, extra with the two of you on board because I know I'm going to learn a lot. Tell me about this quote, Gray. Well, the reason I pulled this was I, I actually I agree with this quote, and I feel like for the very first time on this planet, we have become a, a global digital species where if I'm looking for a solution for something, it's not just within my tribe. It's not just within my town. It's not just within my nation. It is global. So I can reach mm-hmm. out to a friend in Japan. I can reach out to a friend that lives in London um, or South America. And I can say, do you have this piece of code for this piece of software? I can say, are you interested in working on a robot together? I mean, we're looking at an ecosystem now and not just an individual branch of, of this movement into the future. So we're, we're really looking at just a few keystrokes. We are just a few keystrokes away from the impossible becoming mm-hmm. possible. And that is remarkable. You know, I, I think, and I don't know how you feel about this, Bonnie, but the way I look at computers and iPhones we are underutilizing these devices. Mm-hmm. I mean, we use them to post pictures. We use them to chat with our friends. But if you know how to use these devices, if you have the skill and the foresight, and if you have the desire and the intention, then you can literally change the world with that device. That's a very powerful statement, Gray. So I'm not going to let you off the hook by just dangling that out there in front of us. I need to know... <laughs> Give me some examples, and I'll ask. Uh, we're not in the roundtable yet, but I'm going to ask Frank to comment back and forth. So, what are some examples? I have my iPhone here. I've got. I own two iPads. I have about three iMac 27s all, all over my house here. I never know when to throw them away. I just keep repurposing them. What am I supposed to do to change the world, other than sharing pictures and videos and emailing and leaving messages for people on Facebook and LinkedIn? Gray, talk to me. So, for example, there are numerous stories of teenagers around the world that are coming up with emerging technologies that are solving problems. And, um, for example, the, the idea of the, the plastic that's in the ocean, the, the idea that a young person, and there's, you know, a 16-year-old could develop a piece of hardware, a robot, or a software system to track the plastic and clean the plastic out of the oceans. That's just one small piece of this, this huge ecosystem that, that we're sort of rushing into right now. So I, I just find it fascinating that people, they underutilize and, and underrepresent themselves in the digital world where I can sit down and if I have the desire, I can learn how to code. I can learn how to do pretty much anything you want to learn is in the digital space right now. You can Google it. You can learn it. You can make these things happen. So Really, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a matter of intention. It's a matter of desire. And we're seeing a lot of desire to change the world coming from the, the younger 
uh, generation right now. Interesting. And, and you know something, Gray? We hear so many complaints about families going out to dinner and everybody's on their phone. Imagine if somebody was sitting at dinner with their family and saying, okay, mom, order the, order the spaghetti Alfredo with the green beans. You know, I'm not going to eat the beans, but I'll, I'll dabble at the spaghetti. I'm busy learning how to code a new kind of bot that's going to change dad's company. And we're not going to be able to have to go to this kind of restaurant anymore when I make us rich. Do you, do you think we're going to see that happen anytime soon? Oh, I think we're already seeing that. I mean, I think that's really? why you're seeing a lot of the new uh, applications that are coming from people who have grown up with the internet. You know, their their way of looking at the world is instead of uh, asking the question, they go into the digital space and they they learn. They they find the answers to what they're looking for. If they there's a video on YouTube for everything now, so it, it, it literally just takes a matter of asking the right question and. That's how we begin to change the world. I like that a lot. Frank, Diana, weigh in on this, please. Interesting. We aren't yet on techno-philanthropists, but I have a feeling we're on philanthropy. Well, maybe we are, Frank. Are these the new techno-philanthropists, the, the, the kids, the anybody of any age who goes out and says, I want to be learning in the digital space and I want to do something with what I learn. I have a purpose. Frank? Yeah, if you think about the quote that Gray shared with us from Peter Demandos, it, it clearly points to the fact that you can be a techno-philanthropist not necessarily through money, but in all the things that Gray was just describing. There's just so many things happening right now that, that have led us to this place. And, and one of those, those things is really the creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship unleashed in our youth because of how they've grown up in this, in this digital world. And we, we, we spend a lot of time criticizing millennials and others because of the fact that they spend so much time immersing themselves there. But think about how their minds have been programmed to think much differently than the traditional education system that we grew up with and, and the, you know, just pumping information into their brains, really letting them understand what creativity means in, the, in a world that allows for that. And I think we're going to see the, bear the fruit of that. As, as Grace so rightly pointed out, as these individuals start to drive innovation into society. Very interesting. Frank, do you think that, what, all right, let me back that up. What is it going to take for more young people and more anybody? Come on, I'm still learning. I'm a boomer. I don't know. I know Grace, Grace in a different generation. I don't know where you are, Frank. Uh, there's so many opportunities for all of us to learn. What does it take to have somebody go from, oh, I want to watch the latest video to, wow, there's something I want to do and I'm going to figure out how. Do you think that that is becoming pervasive through changes in how we teach in the schools, which is supposed to be the seat of learning? What do you think? Are we seeing an evolution in how people embrace the opportunity to learn and do something with that? What do you see? I I think evolution is probably the right word, but unfortunately the uh, wrong word at the same time. Uh, We really need a revolution as far as I'm concerned at the education level. Uh, given what's coming and at, at the pace at which it's arriving, uh, the evolutionary piece of this is just much too slow as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I think all of us have the potential to be all the things we're describing here in terms of contributors to society, in, in terms of what's coming next. Um, one, we have to have the appetite and ambition to do so. Mm-hmm. The willing, willingness to constantly learn and unlearn and relearn, which I think is the hardest things for human beings to do, especially the unlearned part of that. Uh, so it's a willingness to... Uh, to enter into a lifelong learning kind of mode. 
I think it's a very, very uh, wonderful mode to be in. Gray, talk to us. What do you think? Is education helping to spark this, or is it just peer pressure or lack of peer pressure when people have access to so much great information? Not only to the information, Gray, but to create it. Look at who's creating videos. Look at what's going on. They, I think Forbes issued a report recently that 80% of internet video, internet traffic will be related to watching and creating videos by this year, 2019. What do you think, Ray? Well, I, I, there have been several predictions that the new set of billionaires that are going to come up in the next uh, 15 or 20 years are going to be people who are creating VR. And we know that's com- that, that, that is coming because the way that we interface with our information will not be on screens in the future. I can't say that enough. We will not be sitting in front of screens. We will have glasses. They will be augmented. There will be information in the real world floating around us. And the problem that we have in education is that we're still using this memory-oriented learning. We don't need to memorize things the way we used to now. We have an augmented cloud structure where if I have a question in two seconds, I have an answer. So we don't need to memorize things the way we used to. The, the world has fundamentally changed when it comes to how we educate ourselves, how we remember things, how we, you know, digital recall is what we're talking about here. And the, the new age of philanthropy is assisted by having these enormous amounts of complicated um, data sets and information that we have access to that we don't have to keep in our direct memory. We can, we can store those things for later. So, for example, you know, I, I actually work with maybe 30 different programs from InDesign. I have Adobe Systems. I have mm-hmm. Photoshop. I have Scrivener. I have all of these programs that I work with to produce the content that I produce. If I needed to remember all of those programs and exactly how they work, how would I? There's, there's just no way. So what I do is I only learn what I need to learn to produce that one thing. And if I have mm-hmm. a question, I Google specifically how to do that one specific thing. So I've augmented yeah. my memory learning. I don't, I'm storing my memory basically in the cloud is what we're saying. Interesting. Gray, I want you to give me, you mentioned a few minutes ago, we will not be sitting in front of our screens one day soon. We'll have other devices to give us some information. You mentioned glasses. What are some others? Because I want to tweet this. It's important. What other things will we be using, existing with, side by side, that will be helping us get this learning? Well, let me me just paint a picture for you for how I see the future. And I think a lot of futurists are talking about this right now. Um, uh, Kevin Kelly just wrote an article for Wired Magazine. The cover was called Mirror World um, or Welcome to the Mirror World. And what he was talking about in this article for Wired was he was was describing a future where uh, the digital twin, the industrial digital twin becomes the sort of social media digital twin where we create this digital landscape. Now, the way that I'm seeing this unfold is that either through digital contact lenses or through uh, some sort of augmented reality glasses, when you're walking around the world in the future, it's not just about, here's an email that you need to check. It's not just about, oh, your friend just posted a picture of a cat. Mm -hmm. It is about walking past a woman on the street in New York, and there's a little tag because she's tagged this in her augmented world, uh, world reality where she says, I could really use help with this, or I'm having, I'm struggling with making my rent this month, or 
I'm looking for this piece of code. And that, that tag floats with her. And when the digital system sees that you have the solution for that, you see it in your augmented world uh, or augmented reality glasses. Imagine what kind of world we would live in if we passed a stranger where we had the solution for them. You want to talk about digital philanthropy? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, that, is a, that is a brave new world, literally. Thank you, Gray. I, I appreciate that. Interesting. So, so much good information. Uh, Frank Diana, talk about what Gray just said about the ways. Do you agree with him that we'll be getting our information through different devices no longer glued to our screens, which, which not too many decades ago was our TV screens, which were often called the idiot tube, the boob tube? You know that. Uh, so, so maybe we're getting away from screens and it'll be fed to us other ways. Agree or disagree, Frank? What do you see? Uh, I completely agree. I mean, the interact, I, I talk about it in the context of our interaction paradigms and where they've been and where they're going. You know, there's a lot of discussion around conversational systems and digital assistance and maybe not enough talk about the virtual worlds that we're entering. But uh, some fascinating things to think about. Uh, I'm a big believer that virtual presence will be uh, something that rocks our world again. If you think about the globalization phenomena, where moving goods was the first wave, moving knowledge was the second wave, and moving people was still inhibited some parts of the world to participate. Well, where they can be anywhere virtually, uh, Africa and other places that haven't, haven't gained from globalization will, will, in effect, gain from globalization. So the virtual presence is one, one phenomena. Another is you'll, you'll purchase things through eye interaction in the future, right? You're walking down the street, you see a jacket that you like, all the information about that jacket is, is right there in front of you, including where to buy it, and through eye movement, you actually purchase that jacket. I get a lot of reactions in audiences that say, wow, that's pretty dangerous, but that's where we're going. <laughs> mm-hmm. It absolutely is. Frank, I, I want to level set a little bit here. We started out, I started out talking about our topic is techno-philanthropists. And Gray and Frank, when I think of philanthropy, I think we, we believe it is giving in a monetary way or in a resource way. We think of, uh, Frank, you gave me the example of Bill Gates's, uh, what was this, the brainchild Breakthrough Energy Ventures, Jeff Bezos, we're talking money here, Richard Branson, Jack Ma, Michael Bloomberg, and Bill Gates, of course. We're talking about mega, mega, mega bucks, much of it made recently through variations of the techno boom, wherever these people came in. So my question is, shall we now officially broaden the term philanthropy to mean things like Gray was talking about? A teenager can sit down, a millennial, anybody, learn something from the Internet and go out and change the world, whether it's reclaiming plastics to clean up the oceans, whether it's helping villages somewhere that in the third world that need support and need innovative systems, something they've never even heard of, to help them become self-sustaining. So would you say that we can now officially broaden the term philanthropy? I want you to help me with this, Frank, because I want the audience to know that we're talking a bigger version of this. What do you think? Yeah, I look at it at two levels. The, the Bill Gates phenomena is, is important because, you know, for the first time ever, you've got wealth from, from sources outside of government and military and big business driving some of the philanthropy, uh, aside from charitable stuff that we were accustomed to in the past, driving philanthropy that actually accelerates the path of science and technology. I think that's a really, really, really critical point. Mm-hmm. But the other point, which Anne Gray again has said very, very well, uh, we're already seeing philanthropy on a different level. I mean, the open source movement in and of itself 
could be considered philanthropy when you consider people that you know donating their time to create the best operating system in the world in Linux and other great examples of how just just one example open source is already there in the context of people and in their philanthropic kinds of pursuits. Thank you, Gray. Agree or disagree? Talk to me. I do agree, and I also think that you don't need to be a billionaire to have influence uh, mm-hmm. in the digital philanthropy age. You know, when you, if you change someone's life by giving uh, them information or if you, if you provide some sort of resource for them, even on a very small scale, if you ask that person if that was life-changing for them, they're going to say yes. So we have to be careful not to think of just the Bill Gates as the philanthropists. We have to think of our individual uh, intentions, our individual actions in this digital space because we are globally digitally connected now. So what I do ripples from here around the world. I mean, this radio show alone is, is an example. You know, the words that we use today could touch someone in ways that we, do, we have no idea could inspire them. I mean, it's your whole message, Bonnie. It's, it's the idea of get out there and become a game changer, you know, get active and participate. And just, I mean, I don't think people realize how powerful we are now. That's, that's, <laughs> we should really, really focus on that. I'm, I'm very flattered that you remember my call to action and that you agree with that, Gray. I will tell you that from time to time, people ask me, do you get fan mail? Do people, we had a million and a quarter listens all over the world last year to all of our Game Changer shows. It's not just the ones that were the 16 or 18 series I lose track that were live last year, but shows that haven't been on the air in two, three, four years. The content still resonates, and I have to believe that our listeners, and I'd love to hear from them, our listeners like the conversational format. We're not sitting here reading slides. But but what's most important, Gray and Frank, is from time to time, I'll get a note on LinkedIn. Somebody finds me and they say, hey, listen to your show. I'm an MBA student, and I'm using the conversations on Game Changers Radio to bring what I'm learning in the classroom to life. It's helping me appreciate it. Listening to the thought leaders, now I know its application in the real world. I'm going to tell all my fellow students to listen to the show. I got a couple of those in the past couple of months, and it amazes me that, Gray, you're right, in a very small way, you get on the web. Here we are, Internet Radio. When I first started this and proposed this to my manager back in 2011, I was the only one she knew who knew what Internet Radio was. That's why she asked me to evaluate a pitch from somebody else, whether we should sponsor somebody's show. And I said, no, let's start our own for SAP. That's how this all happened. So so my point is that I'm, I'm very flattered and grateful to you, Gray, for mentioning that, yes, go out and be a game changer today does have a meaning, and hopefully it's inspiring people. Frank, thoughts about, about what we're doing? What do you think? Are we making an impact here? Um, I'm sure. As, as Grace said, it's hard to really understand exactly or quantify the impact, but you know that as you speak in various forms and you participate in shows like this, as you, uh, quite frankly, just engage in dialogue. I mean, the kinds of things we're talking about here and the, and the impact that they will have on our world, both positive and negative, require dialogue. Uh, and so any forum that introduces this level of dialogue, I think it's impactful and influential. Thank you very much. And on that note, you know what? We're, 
We're half past 11 already here on the East Coast, and I want to go around the table and do our usual what's up with you and what are you drinking. So, Frank, Diana, you're up first. Where are you today? You can give us a brief weather report if you'd like. I, I get together with Frank and Gray, and we just throw the whole format out the window because it's just so much fun to talk to two of you. So thank you very much for being so flexible and fluid with me on the topic and, and on the format today. Frank, where are you today? What's the weather? What's your favorite drink? Is there anything new in your cup today or planning for later? And what are you up to these days at TCS and in the world? Frank, Diana, go ahead. Um, I'm in New Jersey. I'm actually working at my home home office today. And uh, I've been, uh, it's going to snow here in New Jersey this afternoon, although it's been very, very weird. Any snow was followed immediately by rain that washes it away. So it's been an interesting uh, winter here in the Northeast. Uh, I am, uh, believe it or not, drinking some Gatorade because I was just tired of water. And so I moved <laughs> on to some Gatorade this morning. And in terms of what I've been up to, I, I'm looking forward to this year because I really do think 2019 represents somewhat of a tipping point in that some of the acceleration that we experience, I think, is just going to expand and take off. So I'm focused on uh, trying to assess and evaluate some of the catalysts that will drive uh, change in the next uh, two to three to five years. Uh, and it's been really uh, uh, meaningful to me to be engaged in these kinds of discussions. As Donna, you know, I launched a poll just to ask that specific question, what kinds yes. of things will drive action uh, that actually enables the future that we all want to live in. So it's been a fascinating uh, couple months. Good, and I'll be sending that poll out to some of my followers, and I appreciate your sharing it with me. Frank, do you know when Gatorade was founded? I have a couple factoids here for you, Quickie. What do you think? You do, remember? I do not know. I do not oh, know. stumpy. You know, although you, Google is a wonderful thing. Well, t- Gray, talk about having access to learning at your fingertips. What do you think I do on the air? People say, what? She knows that? Yes, I do, because I know how to ask the questions. Gatorade Company, American manufacturer of sports-themed beverages and food products, and its signature line of sports drinks accordingly. Uh, founded in 1965 in Chicago, it is now manufactured by, do you know who, Gray? Or do you know who, Frank, who manufactures Gatorade? Well, I knew who it was. I don't it's- know. PepsiCo, PepsiCo, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's distributed in over 80, that's eight zero companies. It was founded by Robert K., Dana Shires, Alejandro de Quesada, and James Harry James Free. That's an interesting last name, and the main markets are the U.S. and the U.K., so there we go. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for indulging my little trivia segment here. Frank, Diana, Gray Scott, we're over to you. Where are you? What's the weather? What do you love to drink these days, and what have you been up to? So, Bonnie, I'm in New York City today. Uh, I'm in my home office, and I'm drinking uh, coffee, as usual. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the last time we talked, I I actually had to skip the last show because I was doing CDS this morning. Yes. um, Yeah, so I I just finished up a project with AT&T, which was really interesting, um, sort of projecting for the next 25 years what what our world would look like. So that was a, a... fascinating project and I'm just gearing up for a new season of the futuristic now show my my YouTube channel show and uh, yeah we're just writing and getting ready to produce a new set of videos 
tell us a little bit about how you produce that show, Gray. I've seen a couple of them, and, and what do you use in terms of technology for production? I'm very interested. You do a great job on it, by the way. So what do you use? And you mentioned before that you have so many different kinds of applications at your fingertips, and you tend to focus on one at a time for whatever the purpose is. So how do you I, – I want you to inspire our listeners. How do you produce an Internet-based show that you're very proud to post? Well, it's interesting, Bonnie, because um, I uh, I used to be a photographer before I was a futurist, and so I have experience making films. So I knew that I had a base of, of understanding of how to actually make short videos, and I also knew that if, if we're going to be relevant for this generation, um, I needed to make a show that people could access easily under five minutes, but also mm-hmm. talk about really um, deep sort of futurism themes, uh, techno-philosophy themes. So, you know, getting started, Bonnie, was actually really, really hard because I had to relearn uh, Final Cut Pro. <laughs> I had mm-hmm. to learn how to edit. And, <laughs> and that is an example of, of me just sitting down, you know, filming, filming the episode, writing the episode, filming the episode, and then step-by-step step going through YouTube and figuring out, okay, how do I splice? How do I? And I really just figured out the, the format that worked for me, uh, and I used probably 15 to 20 uh, plugins and filters and effects and programs to make the show. And when you see it, I mean, I'm sure you've seen episodes. It, it's a very, um, it, it's a high-end edited uh, inspirational sort of show. So, it, you know, for, the, for example, um, one of the episodes we talked about, Digital Twins. Mm-hmm. And in the episode, one of the things I wanted to represent was the continuity of memory if we develop this sort of digital twin uh, world where we are represented in the digital world by an avatar and how we would we may face in the future the, the idea of having some sort of continuity of memory issue where does that digital twin do things in the digital world without you so that there's gaps in your memory. So the way that I represented that is to take a clip where there were people on the, on the beach and then I took a clip of the same beach where the people were gone and sort of had them sort of phase in and out representing mm. the idea of memory, memory being replaced or, um, you know, the continuity of memory being shifted. So the, the theme of the show is also to actually illustrate the future, if that makes sense. Yes, it, it is and it does. And, and I will tell you that, uh, you know, I moved to Durham, North Carolina a year and a half ago. And one thing I walked away from with regrets was my access to uh, a TV studio, public access TV, PATV in New York. And I had a crew there. Yes, they're volunteers, but we had equipment. We had crew. Uh, we did live and live to tape, mostly live shows. And when I came here, I couldn't find a similar facility. And I'm, I'm leading to something here, Gray and Frank, so bear with me. And I, I went to find the local access studio and they had nothing. It's just a room with a curtain, a green curtain, a bunch of desks and some cameras on tripods. They had no crew call. They had no volunteers lined up. They had no people for production, okay? They teach you how to use software, but they don't have the same facility we had in New York. So I was forced to think, what do I want to do? Do I want to continue producing and hosting TV? And the answer is, hell yes, I still love to do it. So I I talked to somebody at Voice America Radio, Ryan Treasure, the VP of, uh, he runs operations. And I know that he came to Sapphire and uh, we streamed SAP Radio live from SAP Sapphire two years ago on Facebook live and we were getting 
oh, 100,000 hits on some of our little 15-minute interview videos, and I knew there was technology. So he guided me in buying a digital camera, and since then I have learned to use iMovie, Gray, to edit my shows, and I'm able to now do Vimeo. Uh, I use a, I post on Vimeo, but I use a Mevo camera, and I'm now able to connect my guests through Skype on my iPad with a cable to my 55-inch TV screen, and we shoot the guests on the screen there's a slight delay in the audio but we've got the shading and the coloring right so I'm there live talking to them on an iPad and they're appearing on a big TV and it's taken months of work but you're right the technology is there you just need to be creative and driven and have a goal and I'm now doing it all myself and I've done about 25 30 shows since I moved here and it's all done in the home studio so I agree it's all there Figure out what you want to do and learn, explore, ask questions. Frank, any thoughts on, on these new ways that we're sharing information with the world by learning what to do on our own through the web? What do you think, Frank? Well, yeah, and uh, I just add to, to one of Gray's earlier points that learning what to do will move off of the web and manifest its way in, in all kinds of different ways, right? So virtual reality being one good example of how people will learn much more effectively in, in the future. So, And, you know, I think it, it, it snowballs because while you're learning, um, you're actually contributing to others' learning. And, and this collective intelligence that we're all creating um, that just fuels this whole notion of a knowledge explosion that, that takes the world to places we couldn't even imagine, I, the heart of it is knowledge and intelligence, and we've never had a, a point in time where we've had more of it, and, and shareable knowledge. And, and think about what happens when artificial intelligence and other forms of knowledge explode, uh, I, ju- I, just, I just sit back and think about the opportunities and possibilities when that kind of knowledge is available to the masses. And let's segue. We're not taking a break. I think it's obvious by now. It's 11.39 here, and I, I don't want to lose the, the flow of this conversation, which I'm really enjoying with both of you. Let's go to one of your discussion statements you sent me before the show, Frank. You say, periods that experience profound levels of convergence require unlearning. Everybody listen up. He said unlearning, one of the most difficult things for humans to do. So, Frank, I want you to uh, unpack. That's a word they use on news shows. Let's unpack it. What is convergence? What, how do you define unlearning, and why is this so difficult for us? Frank? Oh, okay. So, I mean, let's start with the historical example. Uh, the the pr- prior period of very large transformation for our world was really the second industrial revolution, and there were several catalysts that drove a convergence across domains like business, politics, the economy, society, etc. Because without those catalysts, those kinds of things don't happen. And back then, it was the World War One, the Great Depression, World War Two, uh, profound innovation. It was basically the internal combustion engine, electricity, and uh, the telephone were the big, big innovations. And the democratization of that innovation was another catalyst. So those catalysts came together to actually set the modern world and the standard of living we all enjoy in the Western world dates back to that level of convergence. So the question I've been asking is, you know, what are the what are the catalysts that drive similar convergence across multiple domains that help us navigate the waters that are coming, uh, which mm-hmm. I do believe will be the, the most profound period of change that human history has ever seen. But with that means that the, the construct, the societal contract of our world today is based in an old paradigm and an old model, but what we're seeing is introducing things that that model can't represent or support. So societally, we have to unlearn 
and individually, individually have to unlearn so that we allow ourselves to create the constructs that enable this, this future as opposed to rely on antiquated models that just don't work anymore. And again, that's the most difficult thing for any human being to do is to unlearn. And if we don't unlearn, I just fear that we won't construct the kinds of mechanisms that are required for success in this world that's emerging. Thank you. Gray, talk to us. Convergence, unlearning, what are you seeing, Gray Scott? I think Frank is right, and I think um, part of the unlearning process is to realize just how the world is shifting in, in miraculous, uh, I mean, literally miraculous ways. We, we're seeing things that we used to think as concrete realities starting to shift. The blind are starting to see, the deaf are starting to hear, the paralyzed are starting to walk. And, you know, when we're talking about philanthropy, you're seeing a lot of, um, so for example, you're seeing a lot of uh, Facebook donation posts where people are saying, for my birthday, uh, could you donate money to my favorite uh, gene editing company or biotech company or age reversal company or longevity company? So you're, you're starting to see people focus their attention away from just products to, toward digital philanthropy where they're saying, I, for me, for, as a gift to me, why don't we focus our efforts as a group towards solving some of these, these problems? And so part of this, you know, Alvin Toffler uh, really described this well in Future Shock, the idea that we, we are still stunned by the future. We are still in a state of, of future shock where we don't mm-hmm. really believe that these things are happening. So when you tell someone, you know, it seems like every day now a new article comes out with a miraculous story about someone uh, being cured of a brain, a, a, a brain tumor or being able to walk again when they were paralyzed and all because of biotechnologies. And so this idea of digital philanthropy is not just for the rich. It's not just for, um, uh, I don't want to say do-gooders, but, <laughs> but the idea is that we're all involved in this. We're all involved in participating in the, the new digital philanthropy and it comes in different forms. Thank you, Gray. And, and Gray, I, I'm moving along to some notes here. You've already covered a lot of what's in your notes to me, but here's something. Let's talk about our reality check of how the world is getting smaller. The time delay in learning what's happening in other parts of the world is compressing to almost instantaneous. And you say here, the time delay in sharing funds and resources has dropped dramatically since the adoption of the internet, smartphones, and ubiquitous camera coverage. Do you think this is inspiring people to action, Gray? And then I'll bounce this over to Frank. Do you think watching, for example, the wildfires in California or uh, children in, in refugee camps, or I'm not going to get into politics, but family separated. I'll just leave that alone. We all know what that means. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think seeing it live is pulling on our heartstrings? Because when I think of philanthropy, Gray and and, uh, Frank, I think of feeling a need to do good outside of yourself. It's altruistic. It's selfless. So do you think the visual impact, because I think we're all visual creatures, Gray, do you think the visual impact of this instant reporting, this instant access to things live as they're happening is pulling on our heartstrings and that that new technology will help us act on that? What do you think? I'm looking for the humanity side of this. Yeah, so what we're talking about here is informational time dilation. And, and basically Ooh. what I mean is the, the, the time 
that we hear about what's going on in on the other side of the mountain ridge and the other tribe has become almost zero. So suddenly we're not wait, we're not waiting for smoke signals anymore. We are we are literally seeing the events unfold right in front of us live on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat. I mean these and it's not just strangers, you have to remember. I mean, if the mm-hmm. average person has, let's say, 500 friends on, on Facebook, chances are one of those, and this has happened to me uh, multiple times in the last couple of years, whether it's a school shooting, whether it's a forest fire, whether it's an earthquake, because I have friends all over the world, and so suddenly I see a live video that, uh, from a friend of mine who's recording in real time showing the forest fires or showing an earthquake. or it's, it's, We are connected um, digitally through this thing we call a camera. I mean, the, the camera is sort of morphing into something even more metaphysical now. It's, it's becoming our third eye, in a way, into other people's consciousness. And so when you have that kind of connection, you feel the need to act You've, because it's close to you, right? It, it, we've become this digital global species, and because of that, the ecosystem gets affected it, it changes the way that we think about giving. It changes um, whatever threshold it is that stops people from acting. We've crossed that. Now, when I see a house on fire in, in California and you see those horses that are that there was there was a moment during the, the forest fires in California where people couldn't find someone to get their horses out. And so you yeah. started to see people who didn't even know each other starting to offer to, to take their trucks and come get the horses. I mean, that's just brilliant. I mean, that, that you were talking about world changing. That's just brilliant. Yep. And yes, that it, it pulls on our heartstrings, that humanity, that sense of, it brings us into the realm of caring, caring outside of our yeah. own, as you say, digital speech. We, we care. We want to do something. I, I'm going to coin this as the, it's the digital awe. Am I right? Can we go with that one, Gray? It's a digital awe. Yeah, awe. Yeah. Frank, help me out with this. What do you think of the digital awe? Is that what, what we're talking about here with this philanthropy? Well, you need to tweet that, first of all. I'm going to in just a second. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so I completely agree. If you think about the, the, the generation, the millennials and Gen Z behind them, uh, clearly, a lot of what has shaped them and their compassion and, and social-mindedness and, and ultimately what will lead to this purpose orientation is the fact that they got to experience uh, the things that you, all, you both were talking about first, or at least firsthand through, through the camera. Uh, I, think, I think we're going to see a progression that takes us even further uh, into a place where empathy is felt not just through viewing, but if you think about being someplace virtually where you're not just seeing it now, but you're actually experiencing it. I mean, you're actually there witnessing something that impacts you in ways as if you were right there. And your level of empathy grows. And I think if you think about this progression, it's probably at the heart of why I believe there will ultimately be a shift from the shareholder value as we started this conversation to more of a purpose orientation because, you know, 64% of the world today is already Gen Z and millennial. So think about the mindset shift that occurs as, as they start to make decisions both in business and in government. Very, very true. Very, very true. By the way, I have to thank uh, Mohammed Amr at SAP at, at BizUser, B-I-Z user, who has been following 
so many of our shows. Mohammed, you are a champion of the Twitter sphere, the tweet sphere. You're following, you're tweeting so many live comments from my panelists today, Frank, Diana, and Grace Scott. And I'm, I'm liking and retweeting while I'm hosting, and I really appreciate your following. And we just see that now Jason Averbrook is tweeting as well. Frank, uh, we're almost at our predictions. Frank, Frank you want to comment on the awe? I'm, I'm tweeting it. SAP Radio just coined the phrase the digital awe. We now care about people not near us, not in our tribe, because, and then I'm quoting Gray Scott, we are a digital global species with, uh, what are we calling this, informational time dilation. Okay, I think I've got it all in there. Frank, thoughts about that? Are you part of that awe generation? (laughs) I I think it's a great way to capture that. It was a nice buzzword. (laughs) The, uh, (laughs) The bottom line is compassion empathy, which are core human uh, traits, are being stoked because of these phenomena that we've been talking about here. So I completely agree. Uh, you know, if you're a compassionate person, and most people are, um, you get more so when you're kind of in, thrown into these situations because you can be. Uh, so, I, yes, I completely agree with you. Thank you very much. Gray, anything you want to add to that? I'm, I'm stalling to go into our crystal ball because we have been talking so much about the future. But, Gray, anything you want to add? I just want to talk more for a second about the digital ecosystem and how yes. that actually contributes to how, how we behave in the future, not just as individuals, but as business leaders and CEOs as well when they are directing their companies. We have to think of this as an ecosystem. And what that means is that anything you do affects the whole. It's not just your company. It's not just your life. We are now so interconnected as a digital species, that we, anything that we do gets observed, it gets quantified, it gets put into the the digital ecosystem, and you see the results. I mean, when someone is acting out, um, Twitter responds. You know, Mm -hmm. when someone's acting badly, then then the digital ecosystem responds to that pretty quickly. So we're in a a new future now where those uh, systems, the, the nutrient, which is information in this, in this digital ecosystem, that is very heady, heavy uh, stuff. And we have to be very careful about what we do inside of that digital ecosystem. So I just, it's, it's something I've been thinking a lot about, and it's something that, uh, I mean, maybe you, the two of you can respond to that and, and maybe share some thoughts on that, too. Frank, go ahead. Yeah, I like the, I, I, the term ecosystem is something I'm using a lot. It's something that's resonating with business leaders around the world, if not uh, government leaders, because everything is shifting from sort of a, a vertically oriented world to more of a horizontally decentralized world. And it goes back to this notion that it's not really the shareholder anymore. It's the stakeholder within these ecosystems and, and how value is created and captured within the context of an ecosystem. And it challenges uh, organizations that are used to siloed, kinds of ways of doing things, uh, not collaborating very effectively, and now you're forced into collaborating across an ecosystem that has so many stakeholders that are, one, outside of your control, uh, to contribute in different ways that you might be unaccustomed to. But I, I really do think this ecosystem phenomenon is really what's going to replace, again, another example of, a, of an institution or construct that will have seen as, as day, this notion of vertical orientation and movement towards ecosystems. So I, I, I love the concept, and I think it's something that many in the world are starting to embrace. 
And and I'm going to give you my prediction. Frank, get ready for yours and Gray for your 60 seconds each. Mine is that the two of you are going to come back and chat more about this huge topic with me in a couple of months, if not sooner, here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. So on that note, Frank, Diana, Crystal Ball, take a look. Tell me what is happening. And let's, do we want to go to 2020, which is nine and a half months away, Frank, or do we want to reach out to 2025 in terms of techno philanthropy, in terms of digital global species? The digital awe. I just tweeted that. Uh, what, do, what would you like to tell us about the future? 60 seconds. Mr. Frank Diana, TCS, go ahead. Uh, let's just, just focus on the short term because it's hard to, to project what the future is anymore in terms of timelines. Uh, and, and I'll go back to what I said before as far as the focus. And that is three key, key things. One is acceleration, and I do believe all the things we talked about, the contribution of philanthropists around the world, will contribute to an acceleration in, in the sciences, technologies, and other areas that will uh, create uh, astounding levels of innovation uh, in the short term. Uh, and then convergence is the second one. I do believe we'll start to see some catalysts that drive a level of convergence and global focus that this world desperately needs. And both of those things will contribute to uh, just a burst of possibilities. Uh, you know, Gray has eloquently talked about some of those possibilities, and, and I really do believe we're seeing them, and we're going to see them on an accelerated scale. Thank you. Thank you very much. Gray Scott, thoughts, future. Gray, you can actually take 90 seconds. I've got a little more time here. Go ahead. Yeah, I love what Frank is saying, um, what he just said. And I think the part of what we're seeing, too, for example, with Elon Musk releasing his patents for Tesla, we're gonna see, I think we're going to see more of that as we move towards abundance, which bringing Peter Diamond us back into this, the, the idea mm-hmm. of superabundance in the future, I think is where we're headed if we do this right. And if we have more CEOs that are willing to open source their information and share nutrient, digital nutrient into the ecosystem, we're going to see a future that is more abundant, more equal and more fair. And um, that's my optimistic version of the future. The part of me that is slightly pessimistic about the future is that we are in future shock still. We are not aware of how powerful we are. And if we realize how powerful we are, and if we realize just what kind of magical technology that we have at our fingertips, we could, we could teach our children to utilize this. And we're just at the beginning, remember, we're just at the beginning. Wait, wait for quantum, the quantum age to begin, the quantum computer age to begin. When that happens, imagine teaching your children how to use quantum computers to solve any problem in the world. And given their fresh perspective on, on, on this digital world that they're coming into, imagine what they could do. So I think the bad actors that are out there, we're going to mm-hmm. see a, a, a really dramatic shift in how highlighted they are in the next couple of years. But I, I see it as a washing. I see it as a cleansing. We're, we're really working through our issues right now, and, and hopefully on the other side we will have a better future. I like that. I love the optimism, and I think what you and Frank have done on the show today, we can qualify as techno-philanthropy because you are 
floating so many positive ideas and so much good energy. No, I'm not going to get woo-woo on you, but so, so much empowerment is floating out of our mouths here over the internet. I'm serious, and, and I appreciate both of you. I have to say that at the level at which you operate in the world, Frank, Diane, and Gray Scott, we're, we're very flattered and grateful to both of you for sharing your thoughts and your time with us here on Game Changers Radio. It means a lot to us that you're willing to come on the air and just float with topics and share so much good information. So I do a thank you uh, philanthropically from the bottom of my heart to your techno-philanthropy by agreeing to be on the show. And again, my prediction is that you're both going to come back soon and talk some more about these wonderful topics. Again, a shout-out to Mohammed Amr at SAP at BizUser. Thank you so much for your tweets throughout the entire show. You're doing this several times a week. We have four hours of Game Changers Radio, and you always seem to be here. We appreciate it. Appreciative of you. Gray Scott, thanks for tweeting. Frank Diana, thanks for tweeting. Jason Averbrook joined us today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. And shout out, of course, to Aaron and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us there. Time for gratitude. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Frank Diana at TCS, just like Grace Scott at Futuristic Now. Go out and be a game changer. We all agree. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.